Friends, in Christ's grace and peace to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I would like to start with a word of thank you and gratitude. You have graciously welcomed me this morning into your church's family of faith, this home. Thank you. It has been a warm welcome, and um, I am delighted to be here with you as we celebrate this also German festival of the Reformation. What better preacher, right, than import one from Germany because she surely helps us to commemorate this wonderful day that we lift up the freedom that we have won in Christ. Right? Holidays and celebrations are all about celebrating the past and then moving on into what? So I like to suggest that instead of just celebrating a past event, let us celebrate the Reformation with a spirit where we are equipped, equipped to go out into a world that so desperately needs to hear a word of freedom. And so we're invited to listen to the Gospel of John this morning. In fact, a little snippet out of the Gospel of John in the eighth chapter. And so yesterday and this morning, I already said it once, and all of you who have to suffer through the sermon a second time, God's peace be with you. <laughs> but I said that if somebody offers me a sliver of cheese, I will always ask for a cracker. And so when I hear little snippets of scripture, I think, well, there has to be more to it than just this. And there is, most of the time, all of the time, in fact. And so I like us to to just kind of get settled in the chapter 7 and 8 because Jesus preaches three little sermons in these chapters that are important as we look at the gift of the Reformation, of the freedom that we win in Christ, and Jesus offering the freedom to his people that he speaks to. And so it is that... We wonder why he even speaks to those people, right? Why is he even gathered there? What are they doing there? Does he just randomly address people at some random odd time because he has nothing better to do than give sermons? He wasn't paid for it. Well, the people that were gathered there were gathered for the purpose to celebrate the festival of the tabernacle. And I know that before you came here, you read up on what that festival of tabernacle is all about. Because you're doing much better than I did, because I had to go back and read about it. And so just in case you didn't have time rushing here with the kids, you know, you might lose track of what you need to be prepared for. I'm letting you in on what the Festival of Tabernacle is all about. So here they are celebrating this Festival of Tabernacle at the temple. And Jesus is there with his disciples. And the way this is celebrated is not with turkey and mashed potatoes, but with little tents that each and every person erects, and they have light by a candle, and they draw water from the well of Shalom. And I know exactly you studied that also, just like the Festival of the Tabernacle, but all we need to really know 
is that freedom already is a sub-theme in here without us even knowing. Because at this well of Shalom, Jesus healed the blind man who was held bondage by blindness. And then Jesus granted him the freedom of sight. There's a hymn about that. I think it's Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. That happened. Well, that happened is another sermon, but the healing of the blind man happened at the well of Shalom. So this theme is already underlying. So they're all gathered there, and Jesus seizes the opportunity. He's a very, he likes contextual preaching, so he seizes that opportunity as the Pharisees are pressing in on him to try to corner him in and find evidence that he really is erratic and he doesn't belong. And so as he gathers, he says, well, let me tell you a little story. Because that's much as you need to draw living water to quench your thirst, I am the living water. He says that in chapter 7, I am the living water. You can go to any well as many times as you want to, but unless you come to me and abide in me, you have not found living water. There's another story about living water, about a woman at the well. She takes his offer. It's the classic Culligan man sales story. You know why? Because he says, you know what? I have the right thing for you. If you abide in my living water, you will not ever have to come back again. And you all know what she does. She signs on the line. She says, I'm going to sign up. And she leaves her water carrying devices behind. Jesus is the living water. And he claims it here fully and boldly in chapter 7. And then he says, and besides that little light of yours, I, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. He says, oh, put away with that. I am the light of the world. This whole gospel of John is about light of the world. The light came into the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And Jesus says, that light is me. I don't know about you, but I am oftentimes overwhelmed by the Sam's Club of Troubles that this world hits on me when I set foot out of my door. No matter where I look, no matter where I turn, the world is coming out of balance, whether it is within myself or around me. Hordes of devils, right? We'll be singing that later. I have done this once before, so I'm thinking in my mind, did I sing it? I did, but you haven't yet. Watch for it. Hordes of devils roam the land. It's all there. It's still pertinent. Strife is still evident. No matter where you look, and you don't have to go far. But Jesus says that darkness will not overcome the light I have to offer you. Because I am the light of the world. And now we come to 831, where he says what? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Do you remember those little tents? The festival of the tabernacle? He says, forget about that. I am, my word is what you need to abide in. And we know, again, the Gospel of John is playing with this all along. The Word became flesh and dwelt among the people. Here it is, God among the people. Forget about the tents, he says. Forget about the light. Forget about the water. I am it. 
You think maybe that caused a little uproar? Well, if not by the people gathered, most certainly by the tent makers who just lost their business, the candle makers who were put out of business by this line, and of all people, the people who sell water jugs because they're obsolete. As of Jesus' sermon, I am the light of the world. I am the living water. And if you abide on me, put away with the tents. So they get upset. Needless to say, if I take your business, you'd be upset. And they say, well, we are sons of Abraham. We have not been slaves to anyone. What do you mean the truth will set us free? We're not slaves. Well, I don't know if you attended Sunday school, or those people probably didn't attend Sunday school, because when I went to Sunday school, there was a story about the Egyptian, uh, Egyptians and God's people. And God's people were in slavery for 400 years. Now, I'm not quite sure how they wiped that out of their communal history, but we tend to do that. And they said, we have not been slaves to anyone. Well, I know better, so do you. They have. But, you know, we are people like that. We like to kid ourselves that we're free because we're Americans. We know how to celebrate freedom, don't we? We are the champions of celebrating freedom. We seize every opportunity to tell others and ourselves how free we are. My question for us is, are we? We are Lutherans, right? That's another one of those wonderful lines. We're Lutherans. We know all about grace as long as it's for me and maybe not for my neighbor because then the law works all too well. So I think we're just like the folks that forgot about 400 years of slavery when we claim that we own freedom and grace. You know what the, the sin in this is? Because that's how Jesus continues. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The sin in this is that each and every story in the scripture we think is about us. We are the center and of all of the stories. This is the greatest of our sins, is that we always think we are the key component to Jesus' love and grace. Maybe not you, but I do. I always want Jesus to love me more than my neighbor because I'm also precious to him. But do we really trust, if we as Lutherans claim that grace reigns, do we really trust that God will and can do what he promises that he can and will do? Because if we do, we would understand that we're not at the center. We are not at all at the center of any of these stories. And in this message, it's not just the bondage and the wake-up call where God holds his law in front of our eyes and says it's not about you, but there's also the message of great freedom, the freedom that we do not have to pull ourselves up at our bootstraps all the time. How many times have I said with widows and widows, and they said, you know what, Pastor? I am tired of telling 
of people telling me that I just have to cheer up because my husband or my wife is gone for six months and it's time that I pull myself together and get it together and act accordingly and stop being so grouchy. That's the law that we hold of over our neighbor's head. When there is great freedom, we don't have to do life on our own. We are not the ones that are in control. That's the great freedom that is in this text, and that is the great freedom that Luther discovered. He writes, Ein Christenmensch ist ein freier Herr über alle Dinge und niemand untertan. Ein Christenmensch ist ein dienstbarer Knecht aller Dinge und jedermann untertan. And I know you just studied up on your German too. But here it is. Here's the great discovery of the Reformation and here's the key component to our text this morning. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all subject to none. You know how freeing that is for a preacher on Reformation Sunday? Because whether or not you walk out of here, whatever you say about me or this sermon, it does not matter. That's great freedom, my friends. I know that God still loves me, no matter how much you love me or not. But, but, there is a charge in these words because there is a second line to Luther. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all, subject of all. That's the freedom we have been given. The freedom isn't that our faith and grace is for us, but it is for our neighbor. It is for the sake of our neighbor's life that Jesus says these words. That is our charge. We don't come here just for ourselves. We come here for the sake of our neighbor. And now you might ask, well, who is my neighbor? Well, once we come to the Gospel of Luke, you'll invite me back, and we'll look at the story of who your neighbor is together. But until that day, may the peace that passes all understanding keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.